From WXCI 91.7 in Danbury, this is Public Reading Club, a radio program dedicated to discussions about books, writing, reading with writers and book people. Your host is Matt Caputo. Our guest today on Public Reading Club is just uh, a prolific writer. Um, and we're glad that you're here and tuned in uh, for our interview with Michael Ledwich. Um, he's the best-selling co-author of a dozen books with James Patterson. Um, in 2020, he released his first solo novel since 1999. And... Uh, it's exciting to have him on the show. He's a native New Yorker. He's a kind of a blue collar writer that, um, uh, you know, produces a couple of novels a year often. And it's going to be great to have him on the show. He's one of the writers that we really wanted to get in here. He's actually a, a New York city native, but he is a resident of Connecticut. He lives up kind of near Hartford and it's just uh, great to have him on here. You know, um, we wanted to get him on for a while, and uh, he has a lot of good stories about writing. He's a writer that you can find at, um, you know, many local bookstores, any Barnes & Noble. Um, uh, they either carry his solo novels or they carry his work with James Patterson. And he has a new solo novel coming out called The Girl, the Girl in the Vault, which we're, you know, excited to chat with him about. So stay tuned. Uh, we're not going to have a huge intro to the show this week because we did talk with Mike um, for a good while. But um, we wanted to thank you all for checking in. We know we've been on a little bit of a hiatus with this show. It's because the Danbury hockey team went far in the playoffs and we kind of had to put a little extra work into the uh, podcast and radio show Hattrick City that uh, our public reading club producer and engineer Patrick Frenette and I um, we host and uh, so congratulations to them we also have a little uh, bit of news that we have you know a few other writers interested in coming in and speaking with us uh, either via zoom or uh, coming right into the studio we're gonna try and have a couple of in-studio shows this summer but uh, we do have a couple that we'd like to knock out via zoom um, possibly uh a chat with ace atkins and possibly a um um you know a few other tricks up our sleeve i'd love to get some more of the west con students uh onto the show and some of the faculty so um stay put grab you know something cold to drink and we'll see you at the bottom of the show our guest today on public reading club is prolific novelist michael ledwidge a Bronx native and Manhattan College graduate, he is the best-selling co-author of over a dozen books with James Patterson, uh, including the popular Michael Bennett character. In 2020, he released his first solo novel since 2003? 2003, yep. Yes. Yeah. Which brought readers uh, the Michael Gainan series, an awesome crime action uh, trilogy so far, working on the fourth book we hear. His next book, Girl in the Vault is due out in November 2023. Mike, it was really great to finally connect with you. Um, how was the ride over here to, to Danbury? Because we know you live in Connecticut. 
Uh, it was yeah, terrific. A uh, beautiful day out there today. Um, I actually drove down through Litchfield County. I actually live in Avon, mm-hmm. and um, I wanted to avoid the traffic on 84, so I came came down the the back bucolic uh, countryside way. So that probably put your mind to work sometimes, right? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, it, it really is great to have you here with us on WXEI. I'm excited to talk to you because we have a mutual friend of mine, uh, indie filmmaker named Matt Sheridan, who told me. Uh, he knew uh, a writer who worked with James Patterson, and I pretty much uh, became an instant fan of your work. Um, uh, that whole kind of crime in New York and the uh, the different ethnicities we find in, in New York City is always interests me. Um, what I want to ask you is, I don't actually see a lot about it when there are other interviews. What are your roots as a writer? Where, does, where do you get into writing? Where does it start for you? Um... Uh, first of all, th- thank you so much, Matt, for having me on. It's really great. Oh, um, great to be uh, here with you. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so basically I, I started um, my journey as a writer. Uh, um, my mother was a, a big reader. Uh, my mother and father both came from Ireland as immigrants and uh, uh, was born and raised in the Bronx. And But there's always books in the house. Uh, my mom went back to school later in life, and she actually became an English professor. Mm-hmm. So she was really into it. And... Um, so I've always loved to read. I, you know, I started out with like a lot of kids in the in the in the Bronx, and I was born in 1970. So uh, you know, everybody starts out with like reading comic, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, reading comic books, and um, and it was funny. Uh, a friend of mine, his um, his older brother, uh, was into comic books, and he also uh, was into collecting um, uh, like Pulp Fiction paperbacks and stuff. Wow. And so when I was in grammar school, I remember I was sleeping over at my friend's house, and uh, I'm just looking through these paperbacks, and I picked up, uh, the first one I picked up was uh, an old Ed McBain book. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and I started reading that, and uh, because one of the things I used to love about comic books, like Spider-Man, was the fact that I was from New York City, and Spider-Man's from Queens. Right. I had cousins in Queens. I thought that was so cool and everything. So when I was reading Ed McBain, I noticed that uh, it was about the Bronx, and all this really cool stuff was happening, and uh, people were getting shot. And cops were after uh, uh, the cops and robbers. And some guy, I think they they robbed a liquor store or something. And I was like, wow, this is just like a comic book uh, without pictures or whatever. So I said, yeah. So that right from there, I was probably, I don't know, probably 11, 12 years old. And I got into it. So, Yeah, I, it just seems like you, you, um, you, you really got that whole action comic book thing down. Like, that's your thing. You know what I mean? Thank like, you, that, yeah. That's, that's, did, so what I wanted to get into is a lot of the if we have listeners a lot of the listeners that we have or, or at least some of them are um, people that are in our MFA community here our Masters of Fine Arts Writing um, Creative Writing Program okay. and you know I, I don't think um, may, maybe it was me who came to this realization that writers even people who've published how many how many books have you published now Mike? Um, 30? Right, uh, I'm on my 22nd. Wow. 22, yeah. I started out in uh, 1999 was the first one came out. So, what I want to ask you, and I think it's important for younger writers, if there's any listening to here, how many books did you write that didn't come out? Um, one, one did not come out. Wow. Yeah, I have one in a drawer somewhere. Uh, in the middle or before you started publishing books? It was in, after the second book, I wrote a novel. Wow. That, that my, my editor didn't like, so... Uh, really? I, I did another one. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, it's funny. And then I, there's other stuff I got. 
I was going through a lot of stuff. I was cleaning out my closet the other uh, couple of weeks ago, and I found stuff. I found outlines and stuff that I did that I had forgotten I had written and everything because um, it's been a long time. You know, I've been in the business since, like I said, I started. I was 26 when I wrote my first novel, so 1996. Wow. So 25 years. So, so the, your first novel is The Narrowback. The Narrowback. And that comes out in 99. 99. Wow. So could you could you just take us through, a, you know, at this point it's probably so far in the past, but is there any little story or kind of around getting that first one done? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, back then um, it was... Uh, it was a little bit more intimidating to, to get published uh, because there, there was there was no self-publishing at all. Right? right. It was before the Internet, really. And so um, what I basically did was um, I decided, you know, I, I was like I said, I was always a, a lifelong reader and everything. And uh, so I, I, I actually wanted to get into the cops. I, I took the, the NYPD test and I was kind of banking on this because I had gotten 110 on the test. And I, wow. th- I thought it was definitely going to get called. You know, you have to wait until they call you. And but at the last second, they pulled some kind of affirmative action thing, and I didn't whatever my they threw my test scores away, whatever. So I kind of got hosed on that one. So that oh, was that that famous like instance of where everybody's test scores got thrown away? Yeah, they put them all in a lottery. Yes, yeah. So so my 110, a perfect score, plus I got five points for being a college graduate and five for living in New York. Wow! So they threw it into uh, eighty-five, a, a band or some some crazy thing. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, I kind of got hosed in that, but so that's when I decided, you know, I'm going to try to take a whack at writing a book. And I was working as a doorman at the time. I worked on Park Avenue. Well, I was a doorman for a while. Oh, you were okay. Two fifteen East Seventy Ninth Street. Two fifteen East Seventy Ninth. Yeah. Okay, no, yeah. nice neighborhood. Yeah, it was a nice neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I was. I lucked out there. <laughs> Irish boys hooked me up with that one. Oh, yeah, okay, like, right. Yeah. Okay. Between Fifth Avenue and and, and uh, yeah, was it, was it off Fifth? Yeah, off Fifth, uh, Fifth and Park, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I've been right there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. long time ago. Yeah, so I was working as a doorman right around the corner. Uh, when I said, "Okay, I'm going to write a book," right? So I wanted to figure out what am I going to write. I loved crime fiction, so right around the corner from where I worked was the 58th Street Library. So at lunchtime, I went through the entire like me uh, mystery stacks, and I read everything. I, I, I read the whole entire uh, section. Wow. And I came up with uh, the writers that I loved the most were uh, this guy, uh, Gerald Pediovich, the guy who wrote To Live and Die in L.A. Yes. Uh, a bunch of other, but he wrote a bunch of other books that are, are just as good. Uh, Money Men, um, uh, Kill Shot. No, no that, that's, that was Elmer Leonard. Another yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, he, I, I loved him. I loved Charles Williford. He was absolutely hit, hit the ball out of the park. And I loved um, uh, some other people. And right around the, the same time... Um, uh, the guy, Scott Smith, wrote the book um, "A Simple Plan." Yeah, what a great book! If you remember that one, yeah. And what was famous about that was that he got paid a million bucks for that book. Wow! So I said, okay, I want to sell. <laughs> I want to write a book that's going to sell. So I said, sorry, I read this book a million times. Read. Um, so I finally decided, okay, I'm going to write. A, I'm going to write a crime novel, and uh, so um, I put this together. So I, I wrote about half of it. It's it's basically about. Um, uh, these Irish American guys um, who are kind of hooked up with the, with the Irish mob in New York, and what they decide to do is to uh, is to knock over a, a luxury hotel. It's a narrowback, yeah. Yeah, and um, just for the listeners, it, it right. is the narrowback that he's talking about. Yeah, the first yeah. novel, the first one. So um, when I had half of it written, uh, I showed it to a couple of people. It's funny. The first guy I showed it to was a very famous writer because there was a guy who, in the Park Avenue building where I worked, was this uh, one of the tenants I was friendly with, a really smart guy. So I showed it to him first. He was this lawyer, 
he was this, this Harvard lawyer, this really smart guy, uh, who I had become friendly with. And so he had a friend, um, who, a very famous writer, this guy, Malachi Martin, who was a... Oh, I, have you heard of the, I yeah, know the name. Yeah, yeah. he was a, a thriller writer. Yes. But he was a priest before that. He was a father, wow. uh, Malachi Martin. Wow. It's funny, he's known in uh, conspiracy circle theories because he was a Jesuit priest. He'd wor- he'd uh, lived at the Je- uh, in the Vatican. Wow. So he wrote all these novels about the Vatican, blah, 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 so he, as an aside. But uh, he was the first professional writer who read my stuff. And, he's, and so he... He said, Mike, I think it's really good. He said, my, my, something was, his agent was quitting or something, so he couldn't sh- show it to his agent. Because at the time, that was the whole thing. You had to ha- have the book shown to an, Only an agent can sell it to a, a publisher. Right. So the whole thing was trying to get an agent. So, uh, so that kind of didn't pan out. But it was really cool having this professional writer g- just give me all this, uh, you know, like, dude, keep going. You, you can definitely get published. You just have to find somebody else. So I went back to Manhattan College where I had gone to school. And an old professor of mine um, had told me, she said, you know, James Patterson went, went to Manhattan College. He's an alumnus. Uh, and I had heard of him. He was not as big as he, as, as he is now, this global bestseller. But he had written, two, like, two bestsellers, I think. Only two instead of, uh-huh. like, 100 or something. Yeah. So uh, she said, why don't you call him up? Um, uh, he's in the alumni directory. Why don't you kind of cold call him? Just ask him for advice or whatever. And, I, and so <laughs> I looked him up. And but it turns out um, it was really intimidating because he was actually the CEO of J. Walter Thompson, right? The biggest advertising, advertising agency. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, okay, I just, it was like uh, kind of like in the movie Wall Street, you know, where uh, you know you got to call, <laughs> got to call up Gordon Gecko, <laughs> trying to get your foot in the door, you know, sort of thing. And um, so, um, so it's funny. So yeah, so I I I called up his secretary and I kind of um, she said, listen, if you want to. Uh, Jim would he's he's willing to take a look at your stuff but uh, just drop it off uh, and he'll look at it and, and he'll give you a call or whatever so again I was working on Park Avenue uh, so on the way to work I, I printed printed out a uh, you know 30 pages or whatever because uh, back then it, it was the uh, dot matrix yes printers. yes yeah, this is wow, like, yeah this is and a, like the yeah you yeah, yeah. rip the things off the yep, side yes right? this is like the the uh, Y2K era, yes. you know so um, <laughs> I had to print this out really quick. So uh, I dropped it off at uh, the J. Walter Thompson building on the way into work. And then uh, after work, I was coming in into my apartment and the phone was ringing. So I, I joked to my wife. I said, I said, honey, that's James Patterson. I said, <laughs> he's, he's calling up to uh, to uh, offer his help or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, just joking around. And uh, I lift up the phone and the famous James Patterson voice said, hi, uh, hi, this is James Patterson. And is Michael there? You know? So uh, and he was just su- such a wonderful guy. And he, he, he hooked me up and he helped me get an agent. And uh, he showed my, my work to he, he, he told me to finish it first. I finished. So I finished the book. I, I remember it took me a year and a half to write the first half. So once he was on board to help me to mm. show it to an agent. Took it 30 days. Two weeks. Yeah. Wow. Oh two weeks because I figured he'd get hit by yeah, a bus. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Lightning strikes the guy right in the head. <laughs> Something similar like that. I was, um, wish I could think of the guy's name right now because it was on the tip of my tongue, but something similar like that happened to my dad, or my dad always said it did. And like the, like some record deal type of thing, and the guy literally like died of a heart attack a week later. Oh, get out of here. Crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll have, to, I'll, have to, I'll have to think about it and get back to you on that. But, but what I want to tell you is, um, so he... You made that connection with him as early as the Narrowback? As a Narrowback. Yeah. Yes. So you were putting out books just under your own name with kind of his support. Yes. Wow. He, yeah, he's always been like my mentor. Wow, he yeah. Just, yeah, it, like he really kind of stepped in and uh, 
And he helped me. Yeah, he said, uh, you know, he showed my his my, my stuff to his agent. His agent picked me up. And yeah, and he would he blurbed the first three books that I did, and it was so super supportive, definitely. Yeah. And so I wrote three three books on my own. Uh, the second book I wrote was called Bad Connection, and that book was uh, I was really psyched about that because it that actually got picked up by George Clooney, as a, as an option. Wow. A, a movie option. Yeah. A funny story with that, because um, uh, it didn't it didn't work out. Like you know it happens yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah, they'll option it and it'll drop. But what was funny was uh, you know uh, you, you never know what happens, because um, back then. Any deal that you you did, it would end up in Variety magazine. Right. Any, any deal in Hollywood, still still does still do yeah. right. So you you wait for okay. It doesn't happen until it's in Variety, right? So, um, so the, it comes out and it's so funny. It's like oh, the deals of the week or whatever. So it says oh, Mike Ledwidge sells book to George Clooney. You know, and at the time George Clooney was the biggest thing in Hollywood. Yeah. And so I was like, this looks so cool. And then underneath it said, De- and also Dennis Lehane sells a book called Mystic River. Oh to my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Holy ghost! Yeah, yeah. So it's I, a nice clipping you got there. So oh my god! It, it was so funny. So I said to myself, I was like, "Oh, you know, poor, 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 poor uh, you know, Dennis, poor guy. He's his book is, is going to uh, Clint, Clint Eastwood. He's over the hill. Yeah, this isn't going to happen. But uh, that's here crazy. With George Clooney and blah blah blah. So well, what I wanted to ask you was, we we. We talked about it a little bit, the nature of those first three books. It's all in that Irish, we talked about it a little off the air. It's all in that Irish-American kind of New York City crime world. And what drew me to you, I guess I'll tell the story on the air, just to fill some space, I guess, is, um, you know, uh, when our mutual mutual friend kind of mentioned uh, your work, and I started looking into it, and it took me back to a place uh, where I lived in Queens growing up, where a next-door neighbor... Uh, uh, shout out to the Byrne family. Uh, she uh, she was a wonderful lady. Uh, she rented out her basement as a like an illegal apartment. It was like this two room studio. It was really dreary in there. Um, to all types of people that she met through connecting, like in the Irish Echo or right. one of the like the New York City Irish newspapers. And one of the guys was this guy Kevin, and he was just the nicest guy. He was a plumber by trade and friendly guy with all the kids on the block would be just the nicest guy and uh he owned a bar up in riverdale i think it was or maybe it was woodlawn it was called the phoenix back in the 90s and he lived you know just two doors away from me quite a few years maybe five years and when he moved out he was you know, had plans to get married and stuff like that um but shortly thereafter, I think it was the FBI or the CIA kind of came knocking and they were like, hey, uh, this guy Kevin uh, was actually involved in uh, basically money laundering for weapons and stuff like wow, that with wow. the Irish, you know, <laughs> extremists or whatever it was. So, it, wow. the, the, you know, I, I think for people who read fiction like yours, you, you have to either have a great imagination and I, again, I, this is just my interpretation. Everybody has a different interpretation of how to read. You either have to have a great imagination or you need that emotional connection like I do to that world so I could see it so clearly. Now, I'm not Irish, but I grew up you know, right around Woodside, Queens. Right. I'm from, uh, I'm from Elmhurst, Corona area. And, uh, uh, like, I can see these characters pretty clearly. Sure. What? You know, you stuck with it for a while at the very beginning. What made you, like, kind of... Because you must have spent a few years just working in that world with novels. You wrote four, right? You only got three published there. Right. 
what what made you kind of just so focused on on that world um because again uh like the characters change they're all standalones yeah they're all standalones um so yeah i mean you know i grew up in in uh, new york city and uh, i worked in manhattan uh like i said as a doorman and then after that, I, uh, I actually I worked for the telephone company uh, for Verizon. I was a telephone cable splicer. We worked in the manholes wow. um, uh, in Midtown and uh, worked on the street, and uh, uh, which is really cool. You know, and, and I worked with uh, all of these great guys, like uh, our garage had like 60, 60 dudes in it. Um, and guys from all over the city, wow. Italian guys, and um, guys from Staten Island. They all had their own stories, right? Everyone yeah. had their own stories, and... Um, uh, so it's just, you know, I, I, I think that they say, write what you know, you know, and I kind of knew the kind of working class New York city, um, you know, by working with people. And, um, uh, that's, that, that's one thing that people, you know, um, if you do work in the city, I mean, you're going to, you are going to interact with basically like you're talking about ethnicities and everything. I mean, I, I've worked with every type of person you can imagine. Uh, I worked with, um, I worked with a guy who was uh, uh, a cop from Hong Kong, wow. a Chinese guy. I worked with a guy, um, a Ju- the, one of the greatest, this little Jewish guy, he was like a Henny Youngman. <laughs> He'd always tell jokes and everything. Because it's funny, in some of my books, there's always a, a little Jewish guy named Marvin. Because <laughs> it was like, this beautiful guy I worked with. And uh, uh, I mean, Hispanic people and gay people and everybody from all over the world. And, um, and then when I worked at the, the telephone company, I met another cast of characters and all these, and, and, and there's so many people who were like so talented. One guy I worked with, he had uh, been a uh, lead singer of, of a heavy metal band wow. that had toured Europe. I mean, there was like six good, really, you know, uh, professional level guitarists who, wow. who worked there. And um, so just living around New York, I mean, you just meet everybody. Yeah. Know, every type of person. And so it is a great education because, again, when you're writing, you want to try to get the characters that, to be realistic. And to kind of understand human nature and everything like that, and and, and that's just you're just swimming in that when you when you grow up in New York City. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you like I said, you stick with that world. Could you just very briefly kind of describe to the listeners what bad the rundown of Bad Connection and and before the devil knows you're dead? Sure, uh, Bad Connection is a story about um, it's about a telephone guy, you know, uh, uh, shocker, who um, basically uh, is trying to. Um, He's trying to make some money, so he starts listening in on the telephone lines of CEOs in Manhattan, and he overhears a conspiracy. Wow! That he um, uh, turns over to his brother, who's a cop, but he doesn't realize his brother is a corrupt cop. So the bad guys show up, and it's it's a it's a thriller. So uh, and then before the devil knows you're dead is very similar to the movie. I don't know if it recently came out, um, dragged across concrete with no. Mel, Mel Gibson. Did you see this one? It's, hmm. it's about a, a cop who gets railroaded. Um, uh, he kills a suspect um, uh, in total self-defense, but it's like an election year, and they pump it up that it, it, this, it, that it was like a police, police brutality thing. Interesting. And he's on trial, and, uh, but he knows somebody, one of the court officers whispers to him, because he's going to come back that Monday, and the court officer says, you're, you're guilty, wow. but they're not going to tell you until Monday. So then he he go he goes home and his uncle is uh, like you were just talking about your neighbor is an IRA guy yeah. who's uh, who offers him a chance to uh, uh, to do a job with him instead of go to jail. So uh, he gets into a lot of trouble. Oh, it's an interesting yeah. story there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, kind of a heist thing. 
And so after that, after that third book that's kind of has just your name on it, how does that um, collaborative relationship with James Patterson begin? Where does that co-authorship start? And what's the what what's actually the spark behind that? How does that how do you get into that pool? You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, right around so after that book came out, that was like 2003 or so. Uh, I had a conversation with James Patterson, um, uh, and he said that uh, he was thinking about doing this uh, series with um, this Michael Bennett series, and would I would I be interested in collaborating with them? And because um, it was funny at the time, it was popping manholes for a living. <laughs> so I said, you know, work with the world's best-selling author, or you know, <laughs> go back to Ninth Avenue and start pop- popping manholes. So I said, I, th- I think I'm going to try working with James Patterson a little bit. So uh, yeah, so basically, how that worked was that um, what he would basically do, uh, he would kind of come up with the idea and he would write an outline, and then he would send me the outline, and then I, I would just start kind of um, adding my two cents to it, and then I would flesh out. Uh, like you know, twenty thirty pages, and I'd send them back to him, and he'd take a look at them, and he'd change some things and send them back, and uh, and we just do that month by month, you know, and I just work my way through through this outline. And he had a very detailed outline, like a hundred chapters, and I would just you know work on ten chapters, twenty chapters uh, every couple of weeks, and then we'd go back and forth. So it was really cool. I mean, um, work with him because again, he was uh, he was from the advertising world, and he was very. Um, uh, skilled at working with other people as a creative director you yeah. know? so he was really used to all that so he was really kind of cool he knew how to kind of handle me and say okay Mike try this and try that blah blah so it was like working with a coach like a, kind of a writing coach for like a decade yeah back and forth and uh, yeah he's a really smart guy really funny guy and really nice so you know and I know right now he does a thing where it's like a master class yes I've he, seen some of it yeah so it's like I took that master class for over a decade yeah just from him and uh, so it was a monthly kind of exchange between you two yeah, every, all those years every two or th- two or three weeks yep wow yeah how many books did you guys do together um 14 it was, was it yeah I think 13 or 14 yeah. wow mm-hmm. that's amazing yeah and um yeah 13 and a half I think we did what just kind of how many was there ever a time because I you know I I, I think that um Something that I've I've mentioned on this show, kind of in a in a different segment, is that you know he he kind of conceptualizes the uh, the story arc, I guess you know what I mean, and you go in and begin to write the story. Um, but how many times, if if ever, working with him, did you ever originate the idea? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in two of the standalones that we did together. Uh, the quickie and now you see her. Yeah, I was the one who came up with the, with the original idea in both. Yeah. The quickie is an yeah. interesting one. I like. Yeah. You like that one? One of my favorite. Um, I actually started to read it while I was over here, and I I, I kind of always wanted to ask you about this because um, I find it to be really good. It's the first. I, I've actually brought this sentence up in some of our writing classes. It's the first line of "Step on a Crack." Okay. Uh, oh, I just messed up again. Okay, here we go. The back of the table captain's cream-colored... I'm going to have to edit this hole in a second. The back of the table captain's cream-colored evening jacket had just turned away when Stephen Hopkins leaned across the secluded corner booth and kissed his wife. I mean, that's a good piece of writing there. Like, where, where, you know, how, how much of it is line editing with him and how much of it is kind of like story arc editing yeah he, he's doing the story arc stuff i'm kind of doing the uh 
the finer stuff. Like, yeah, I, 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 I wrote that. Um, it, it's like I say to people, anything you like, I, I wrote that. You know, anything you don't like, I, it might have been Jim. You know, he, he might have <laughs> wrote the parts that you don't like. You know, just joking around. But um, it's like they... Uh, uh, I believe it was the guy, uh, a critic, uh, Wallace Benjamin, right? He said that writing is three different things. It's music, architecture, and weaving, right? So um, so I basically did the weaving part, you know, like like the fine stuff, the, just the um, – uh, and that's the stuff that, you know, the, the craft of writing – Coming up with great sentences, putting together in, 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 uh, in great paragraphs, blah, blah. Um, that was, and again, like when I first started out, I kind of started out just, I was good at weaving. I was good at writing the sentences. I was good at kind of putting it together. But uh, I kind of built it slow. You know what I mean? Like I'd write one sentence and the second sentence and I'd, I'd kind of let, okay, what's going to happen next? You know, um, that's how I did it when I first started out. But with Jim, the way that he would do it is kind of more like an architect where he would, you know, he'd lay the whole thing out first. And then do the weaving afterwards. You know, he you, you would uh, plot it out first, and that's what I do now. I kind of that's what I really kind of learned from him. Was to, it, it it helps me now to really get the whole overarching um, blueprint of it first. I kind of heard you say that before. Yeah. You never really outlined before. I did not, but now I do. Yeah, yeah. Because it, and again, and I've been at it for a long period of time. So I've been at it for 25 years. So you, you try different things, yeah. whatever, you know, and that's what another thing with James Patterson, which was so great was because again, I kind of pigeon my whole, pigeon hold myself in the whole, like I'm a hard boiled crime fiction writer and that's my genre and blah, blah, blah. And, but when I worked with, with him, he's like, Hey, you know, you could write about anything. You could write from a woman's point of view. You can write from anybody's point of view. One thing I wanted to ask you though, sure. um, after you collaborate on so many different books, I mean, I, I know how it is maybe as a writer myself where it's like, you know, I have one project I'm working on, but I get kind of distracted by like this idea is in my head. And if I could just take two days of notes on it or whatever it is, I can get back to what I'm doing. Right. Um, was there a challenge in keeping ideas you had without Patterson alive? Did you ever uh, have to sideline other projects to keep up with that Patterson workload because you guys at one point I think in 2007 you did three books together or it, they came out yeah. in that year you know? um, right yeah um, was I sidelining yeah he, he yeah he kept me busy I was just working for him um, but a after time after time after you know five six years working with them yeah then I'd, I'd start scribbling stuff on the side that I wanted to do kind of on my own or whatever um, and so yeah, when I, when I when I decided to, to kind of hit back on my uh, my solo career, again it's like my kids. You know, I have three kids, and they actually um, so w once they kind of got a, they got through college, I said you know what, and I, I'm getting a little bit older. Uh, I, so I said I'm I, I'm going to look back at my solo career again and take another whack at it. You know, um, but but working with you know, working with Jim as a as a partner, it was you know amazing. It was a uh, you know. Uh, it, it allowed me to move to move out of the out of the city and to get a house up in Connecticut. There was that. And, that yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I guess for all intents and purposes, there was that much stability in it. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah. Wow. It was really great. And so, um, something you know, when you, you said your kids moved out of the house and you wanted to go back to kind of your solo career, but how does it launch? Like, what's the what's the first step there? What you know, what 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 gets you going to? Uh, what what does become stop at nothing, right? Right. Um, it, it, like you were saying about uh, an idea, I, uh, for stop at nothing, 
Um, which is basically, it's a, it's about a guy. It's a, it starts out as a fisherman, and he's out fishing in the Bahamas, and um, he sees a, a, a corporate jet crash in the distance, and he uh, he, uh, he 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 go, you know, he tries to radio for help, but his radio is broken, and he goes and he sees that the the, the, the plane is cracked in half, and he dives down because he's a, he's a diving instructor, and um, uh, and he sees that there's these six dead people on the plane, and he picks up a, a bag, and it's, so. There's some luggage, and he takes the luggage, he puts it on board, he opens it up, and it's filled with money. And so, uh, kind of like the guy in uh, No Country for Old Men, yeah, he keeps the money, and of course, the bad guys come, <laughs> look, look come looking money. for the money. Yeah, um, sounds so, like cocaine bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and so that that actually stemmed from uh, when I was a uh, when I was a doorman. Uh, I worked. There was a guy who lived in the building who was a super super rich guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a British guy, and uh, he actually came to New York. He's going to be like like a, like a Donald Trump sort of guy, and uh, um, and he was super rich, and he had a limousine, and he had his own jet, and he had his chefs, he had everything, and um, uh, and I always thought in the back of my head, wouldn't it be so cool to have a noir story about? Because there's, there's noir stories. There's a famous um, there's a movie about a guy who's a, a chauffeur for some gangster, or whatever. I always said, like, wouldn't it be cool to have a, a, a movie about a guy who's a pilot of a, of a, of a private jet for one of these super rich kind of sketchy guys? And uh, so that, I always had that in the back of my head that I was going to write a story about that. And um, so when I said, okay, I'm going to take a look at the story again. And it was right around the time when a whole bunch of stuff came out with WikiLeaks. Yes. Remember? And in WikiLeaks, um, there is a emails about um, uh, the then FBI director Robert Mueller. Yes. On because he has a, a the FBI director has their own G six uh, uh, Gulfstream jet. And in this in the WikiLeaks, uh-huh. it, yeah, see what I'm saying? So in the WikiLeaks, it said that he uh, what did I believe he flew to Sweden, and he exchanged what was it a I think it was uranium with some Russian guy. <laughs> yeah, but nobody yeah. knew about this, right? So I said, imagine. So because I had this whole idea in the, in the whole thing with this plane crashing, I said, imagine if it was Mueller on this plane. Wow. And all this shit that they want to cover up, this guy uncovers because there's uh, money and there's everything else. So, it's a great. Yeah. It's a so great that adventure. That popped into my head, and I was like, okay, it's a great adventure. Yeah, kind of ripped from the headline, and ripped from the headlines they don't write about. Right, you know right, I mean? right. So. The the. You're 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 always kind of playing in that world with these books, you know. It's kind of like a high stakes tango with the powerful kind of, right? Either kind of either government or military dark forces. Yeah. Uh, what what were your favorite books that included that type of stuff like that that inspired you? Um, I'll tell you one of the one of my uh, really one of the best written books I think ever, um, thriller wise, is a book called uh, The Tears of Autumn by Charles McCary. Um, uh, it's and it's about a guy who's a CIA agent, uh, right around when JFK gets killed, and he knows all everybody like in the in the intelligence world, and um, uh, and he figures out I think I know who did it, and he goes and he so it's basically like uh, he becomes like a detective to discover and in, who in the intelligence world killed Kennedy. And he goes to wow. di- yeah, so he goes to different places. He goes to Vietnam, 
because it had something to do with Vietnam. Because right around the time uh, they had, the Viet- it's kind of like the true crime fiction almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is yeah. So that that definitely was. Uh, I, was uh, I always thought, have super respect for. Him. And there's another great um, writer, um, uh, Robert Stone, who, who in 1970 wrote a book called Dog Soldiers. Yeah, I think I know this guy's name. Yeah, he's a really really good writer as well. He's a New York guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he grew up in Brooklyn. Uh, and uh, he actually lived in an orphanage for a while. It's funny, a lot of the writers that I like, or like you were talking about the blue-collar New York stuff, a lot of the writers that I really like are, are blue-collar kind of people um, who, who, who kind of came up hard scrabble. Because the guy Charles Williford as well, um, he's a famous crime writer, he, he grew up in the Depression, and his, his parents were dead, and he actually r- rode the rails and stuff until um, uh, somebody told him, because he was like 16 or something, they said you should, because th- there was no work anywhere, they said you should um, tell everybody you're 18 and join the army. So at least you'll have three, three meals a day, whatever. And this is what he did. He joined the army, and then he eventually becomes a writer. But he's a really good writer, because uh, again, because again, being blue collar and everything, you know, uh, you, you see everything, you, you, you know, from the top to the bottom, and blah blah. blah. But um, so yeah, so Robert Stone. So Robert Stone, this book, Dog Soldiers, is all about um, these. This guy goes to. Um, Vietnam. He wants to be a, a reporter, and when he's there, somebody says, "Hey, listen, why don't you smuggle some heroin back?" <laughs> and uh, or and he uses his friend, who's like a merchant marine, so he smuggles the heroin back into San Francisco, and then, um, but then all the, all these CIA guys, all these kind of scuzzy people who were in San Francisco at the time, um, try to steal the steal the, the heroin, wow. and this guy starts kicking their ass, and they're chasing <laughs> him, and they chase him all across the country. Uh, it's really cool. It's really dark, yeah. but it's really well written. Dark Dog Soldiers by yeah, Robert Stone. Robert Interesting. Stone. I'm going to have to check yeah. that one out. Is Michael Bennett and Michael Gaynon, are they cousins or related in some <laughs> way or even just in your mind, you know? Um, no, it's funny. Um, Michael Gannon to me, uh, they're a little bit similar, I guess. They're both kind of Irish-American guys from New York. Right. Um, but uh, Michael Gannon to me is, because um, like I said, this guy, Charles Williford, I'm, re- I'm such a huge fan. He, his main guy was this detective, Hoke Mosley. Okay. Um, uh, that's a good name. There was a, a movie with, um, uh, what's his name? The um, Who's the guy who uh, who shot the person on set? Uh, the uh, Alec Baldwin. Yes. Um. <laughs> the guy who shot the person on set. Um, uh, Alec Baldwin. It's, it's called uh, Miami Blues. Um, and... Uh, it's about uh, this, this detective Hoke Mosley, and um, so you, like you basically think it's it's going to be this uh, basic. Okay, he's a detective, he's a homicide detective, but but he's actually um, all these crazy things happen to him, and uh, he's actually um, very funny. Like he has this like very dry sense of humor, and and sometimes really violent. So these really violent things will happen in the stories. Um, uh, even like Quentin Tarantino said that he based a lot of his stuff like in Pulp Fiction on Charles Williford's stuff. Wow. He was like the original kind of uh, Tarantino. How much time do you spend reading now, being such a busy writer? Uh, a lot less than I used to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll read more Get like... to sit out in the yard or... Yeah. I'll, you know what I'll do? Uh, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of like, like nonfiction stuff. I'll read nonfiction. I'll read like biographies. Okay. To, you know, because one, one of the coolest things like just for, for, you know, you're talking about writing, people who like, who like uh, writing... Um, great advice if you want to find out about um, to come up with kind of cool little details and stuff um, 
read autobiographies. They're kind of boring, but just read them for the details because people tell details about their lives that you can use for characters. Um, this is something that I do. Like, uh, you find out really cool stuff. Like, uh, for example, Burt Reynolds. Um, he had, I think he had his spleen removed in a car accident. And for the rest of his life, he, um, uh, he could never get warm. He was always cold, even if he would put on coats and everything like that because of the spleen damage. So I'd never even heard of this. But, but because in autobiographies, people tell these little details about yourself. I'm like, I, I'm going to use that for a character. You, you know what I mean? Like, that'd be like a cool little detail for a character. Um, uh, and other stuff like uh, about, like, you know, um, all sorts of little, little weird details. You know, just because so sometimes what I'll do is I'll go to the library. And I'll just take out 12 random books, autobiography of anybody. It doesn't matter who it is. And so, so a couple of times I brought it up to the, to the desk. And, um, the yeah, like Richard Simmons in there. Yeah, yeah, like every, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it'd be like, uh, you know, Caesar, you know, Richard Simmons. You know, I'm just trying to find out about anybody. Uh, so, and so, the, so the librarian is always like, uh, okay, all right, anyway. No, uh, it's because that's where the characters... And that's how you can help build these bigger characters that you're working on. They're in your head. How do I kind of dress up their lives? Right. To a degree, you get those ideas. I um, I recently started. Um, I do write a little bit of fiction on the side. I'm a kind of, kind of a lifelong nonfiction writer who's always kind of had short stories that I played with and and stuff like that. And and, and now kind of an idea for a novel, but. One thing that I've I've tried to do is, um, you know, I've been trying to write this private detective um, character. Okay. And I've made this kind of weird process. I I don't. It might not work for a guy who's written twenty two novels, you know. But it's it's starting to help me. Is if I if I see something out in the world, it could be a junked car, it could be a plate of diner food, it could be. Um, the way a light hits uh, hits a trash can or something like that. I take a picture of it, and um, usually that's a way for me to reference the world that I think my character lives in. It's awesome. So I kind of say, all right, like here's this uh, you know crowded subway station, or here's this uh, you know um, you know. Uh, you know, spilt beer all over the floor at a pizzeria or something like that. And it's just these things that I say, all right, Mike, and I can open up my phone and go to that one folder of photos and I'm in that character's world to the best of my knowledge. Right. You know? But it's always interesting to hear what writers, especially somebody like you, is Is it a lot of online research you do or you walk around the city sometimes? Or Yeah, uh, uh, one of the coolest things is um, uh, the uh, Google... Street View. Yeah, that's a game changer. Yeah, <laughs> that's a total game changer in terms of going. You know, you don't ha you don't have to do that anymore. Right, right. You right. can kind of go and get the local details. Get the local. idea. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I remember um, uh, the last place I went for uh, uh, to just see the place was I wrote a book called Now You See Her, which is set in Key West. Yes. So I had a conversation. That's a standalone, right? That's a standalone. Yes. Yeah. So I had a conversation with Jim Patterson. He says, "He said, why don't you go down to Key West and check it out?" I was like, "All right, I can go there." Yeah, that'll make sense. <laughs> Key West, I yeah, I could do Key West. <laughs> I can go down there and check it out. Yeah, you know? especially when James Patterson's recommending you go. <laughs> yeah, you know what? James Patterson told me I should go to Key West to research his book. You know, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So that that I don't have to do the street for uh, for Key West. So. You know, um, 
But before we get too, too far, though, one thing I, I, I left out from early question, you know, those first three novels of yours, I feel like you're a guy, listen, if you're putting out two books a year, basically like you are, you're having these years where you do one and then two or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you're, they're, they're obviously selling at some level at this point. You know what yep. I mean? So, but, and, and, and nowadays, and I bring this up with a lot of authors we have, that there's only a few, um, like, how come we can't get access to those first three novels of yours in paperback? Ironically, if you're listening to this show in Danbury, Connecticut, all three of Michael Ledwidge's first first three novels are in hardcover at the Danbury Library. Okay. <laughs> but, awesome. but in terms of, you know, like I said, you're a guy that, that, I mean, I bet you once in a while these end up at supermarkets and stuff like that, the paperbacks in that mm-hmm. section. You're widely, pretty much widely distributed. Is there politics or something going on there? Is there something that might be easy to get this done and you just haven't pursued it? What's the deal with those first three books, getting them back into even a limited run of paperbacks or something? Yeah, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they they all came out before the Internet. Yeah. So they never did an e-book. Right. They never even did one. (laughs) Right. So, and then I left that publisher. So to to them, they're like, oh, they don't even, I'm sure they don't even, Recognize that I'm on their probably their don't even backlist. have the file. Yeah, they don't yeah. even have the file or anything like that. So, um, do you have it? Uh, probably not. No, I'd yeah. have to scan it. I'd have to scan it into something. Wow. Blah, blah blah. Um, yeah, I don't even have. It's so funny because, like you said, that that the like my first novel, I didn't even have a, a disc of it or any, or anything. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote it on paper. Wow. And sent it in on paper. And and even when you edit a typewriter, it, a typewriter. I actually I transitioned into a computer, yeah, but yeah. I started on a on a typewriter. Wow! Um, and but even with the I think the third book, when you edited it, you'd have to okay, you type re, you know you retype it up, you print it out or whatever. I, but you'd get it back in paper form because there was no email, so they'd send you back the, the manuscript with the pencil marks on it, and you'd have to go over it again. Blah blah. So it was like the Stone Age. But uh, but I'll tell you one of the biggest changes. Like I, I said to other people that. Since, you know, when I did this, because when I worked with Patterson, he kind of took care of all the, the marketing stuff and the business end of it. Um, I was kind of like a contractor working with him. But um, one thing that I noticed from, because in, in 2003, like you couldn't advertise for a book unless you were rich. You know what I mean? Like there was no advertising available. For, so uh, you had to get it as a Barnes Noble. They, they would kind of keep it there for like three or four months. Right. And then it would disappear. Um, so one really cool uh, advantage that people have today is being able is social media yeah. is being able to find your audience uh, and to and to tell them hey my book's coming out yeah that that was impossible before and it, I mean just in case in point in James Patterson if you if you, if you like any page about books uh, especially Michael Ledwidge's page on Facebook or uh, James Patterson's page you've probably seen the House of Wolves ads already. Uh, you know, a thousand times. Right. So he's he's still James Patterson and Stephen King also, um, just way ahead of their time and having books advertised on TV. James Patterson was probably the king of having books advertised. He was the on first TV. one. First one. Yeah. But Stephen King followed suit, right. um, certainly. So, <clears throat> just just in terms of that, I, I always wonder if, you know, I um, I've actually recommended you know your first books to Charles Charles or Die, of uh hard case crime oh thank you but you know it's it's just uh, I'm not sure if the, your books frankly are uh, li- literally sexy enough you know I think they go for the uh, oh 
Okay. The, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, the, right, the right. Kind of the more like old Lawrence Block stuff is like right. basically erotica. Yes. You know that he right. wrote in the fifties or whatever right. it is. Uh, like before there were porn. Before right. There was porn. Right. It was like it these, was illegal. Porn was legal. Yeah. Like that, it right? was like these sexy yeah. books. This is where people got it from. Right. It's like sex and violence and crime. That was the whole book. You know. Um, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny uh, when you talked about. Lawrence Block. Uh, I, it's way when I first when my first book came out, The Narrowback, um, in 1999. Um, uh, the guy Otto Penzler from the Mysterious yes. Bookshop. He he really liked it, and he was really nice to me. And uh, he actually invited me to a party, which I, I couldn't go to because I had actually uh, been invited to go to Los Angeles to the Mystery Bookshop out there. Wow. And uh, but he invited me. Uh, Otto Penzler invited me to a party. I, I kicked myself. Uh, because Lawrence Block was there, yeah, and Ed McBain, wow, and Donald Westlake, wow. We're all gonna be at this party. It's like the the, the Mount Rushmore of crime fiction. That, we're gonna be there. That's know? um. He's yeah. he's. I've never met Otto myself, but uh, Peter Blowner, a guest we've had on here, is very friendly with him. So is Reed Farrell Coleman, who've been on here, and right. Uh, but uh, he lives. I'm pretty sure Penzler lives about a half hour from here. Oh, okay. Somewhere. So okay. we we kind of hope that maybe we could get him on here one day just to talk books. Yeah. You know. Um, nice guy. We got into uh, the Stop at Nothing kind of era now with the, the Michael Gannon series, and uh, um, I'm planning on reading Hard to Break when it comes out in paperback, whenever that is. What's happening with that series? Okay, um, and so right now the 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 fourth book that comes out uh, is going to come out probably. Are you signed for five or? Um, no, this is the fourth one. Uh, this is the last one in the in, in my current um, setup, but uh, it's tentatively called um, No Safe Place. Wow. And um, it's going to probably come out in the spring of 2024. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. So is your hope to continue that series? or? Yeah, we'll see. You know, um, I, I like it. I'm, I'm getting into it. Because, um, uh, again, I, 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 I kind of see it, like I said before, uh, I see the character kind of like a... He's kind of like a Hulk Mosley mixed with uh, like Jack Reacher. Yeah, he's kind of wandering around. I, I, one of the old TV shows, uh, The Fugitive. Yes, remember that? Oh, sure. So it's kind of the Fugitive meets the kind of the Equalizer sort of thing, and um, uh, so yeah, I'm into it. You know, just changing different settings and what, whatever. And are you a big movie guy? You go to the movies or watch absolutely, a lot? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Huge movie guy. Yeah. 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 Is that? Is that part of your inspiration as a writer when you see the movies or even if there's a little element of it that, that kind of appeals to you? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, uh, it's like when I, um, uh, what, you know, born in 1970, one of the cool things in, in the 80s being a teenager or whatever, I mean, um, I, I think in certain probably 1980 or so going into the early 90s, I mean, it was sort of like a second golden age of Hollywood, especially when you look at thrillers. You know, you got Die Hard, you got uh, No Way Out, Yeah. Uh, in the Line of Fire. No Way Out, such a great movie, isn't it? Might have to watch that tonight. Yeah, that's uh, that's a classic. Yeah, that should be considered even. I I bet years from now that's going to be like one of the top top ten movies. Yeah. You know, on the list because it is. It's absolutely uh, incredible. Um, just the performances, whatever, and and the writing is so good. And um, you know who's who's kind of underappreciated too. If, if you look at uh, what a great writer he was, is uh, Oliver Stone. Yeah, he wrote Scarface. Yes. Okay, and uh, and all of his films are they're they're phenomenally um, well written, and the dialogue and everything, and um, and just how they're structured, and um, and you also look at um, uh, James Cameron. What a great writer he oh, was, because yeah. he wrote uh, Rambo. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, before he did. Um, First Blood. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then um, and then like you look at Aliens. Aliens is such a, a incredibly well. No, it's a well done crafted movie. movie yeah. You know, as a story. Yeah, so yeah. these are all terrific storytellers. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think that yeah, at the these guys at the height of their game, they're, ta- they're just they were just as good as, as novelists in terms of the, of the scripts. Something so. that I wanted to bring, you know, I, we bring it up all the time because it just. I, I'm I'm the type of person that I like the same kind of movies that I like my books. Like I love crime and I, I'm I'm really into the crime or mystery type of thing. But I love a good action movie. You know what I mean? Or 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 something where the stakes are high and people are double crossing each other. Whatever the right. heck it is, right. you know. But um, there's just so few movies in this genre actually that are really well done. And and even some of the good stuff people complain about in reviews online and stuff like that. And you know. When it comes to crime and thriller and stuff, I mean, we've had on this show uh, Peter Blauner, Reed Farrell Coleman, Lawrence Block, now Michael Ledwich. Um, of all those guys that I just named, there's one that I know of. There's one movie, right? At, right. What's your story been with these options? I mean, I, I I'm completely aware that these things are, you know, there there is. You know, the the option is as good as a uh, you know an empty box of donuts sometimes. <laughs> right. But what's been your experience with all your stuff? Um, I'll tell you. Uh, the the cool one of the coolest things one one of the kind of heights of my career was uh, like I told you I wrote um, the standalone with James Patterson called The Quaking. Mm-hmm. And uh, a funny cool story. Um, so after I'd written it, whatever the publisher loved it, blah blah. A couple weeks go by, and I got a call from from James Patterson, and he said, he goes, Mike, listen, there's pretty cool stuff going on. He said, we sent the quickie to a creative artist agency, you know, and they're really hot on it. Big time company. They, yeah, yeah. They, they, they love it in Hollywood, blah, blah. He's like, you know, this is, this is like no bullshit. He said, it's right now, it's exclusive to Steven Spielberg. Wow. And I said, whoa, that's amazing. And uh, he's like, yep. He said, Steven Spielberg, only he can read it. They're going to give it to him exclusive, and then they'll let it out to other people to see what they want to do, whatever. So it's so funny. So I'm, so we're waiting that week. I'm like, holy shit, see some Steven Spielberg reading the book. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> so then we get another phone call back, and they said, um, okay. They said, listen, you know, uh, uh, Mike, they, they wanted to talk to you. Um, they want to know if it's okay um, for because said you know Stephen had a problem this week and he couldn't read the book. He said, but he really wants to read it. Is it okay for him to hold it for another week? And so I was laughing. I'm like, Stephen Spielberg's asking me for a favor. I was like, um, um, I said, yeah. I said, okay. But I said, but, but you know, just joking around. I said, but tell Stephen this is it. And, and next time, you know, <laughs> go to hell. You know, just, you know, get get your reading materials in order for the weekend. <laughs> Um, but anyway, no. But anyway, so it didn't. Again, like you said, yeah. it didn't happen. But I thought that was the coolest thing that that it got on his desk. Wow. To me, was as cool. I mean, as an accomplishment as getting you know top of the bestsellers or whatever. Because I think to me that that's probably the hardest real estate for any story to get to is on his desk. So, um, uh, so yeah. So I think that that's just cool. And and you know, all all you can do is you you keep at it. Uh, one thing cool about writing is that you know you can always get better at it. You know. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the best thing about it. You know what I'm saying? So, 
Uh, and one of the really cool things about um, being able to do it full full time um, was having the time to, to to really kind of delve into the the craft of writing and and read about how how can I do this better and you know reading uh, all the stuff like the the hero with the thousand faces and and Aristotle yeah and, and uh, you know his stuff about drama and uh, and and it's true I mean uh, all the stuff because like I said I've written read, wrote what twenty two two novels and. What you find out is like you know these basics that Aristotle goes over. It, it is true that there is this this kind of uh, thing going on in every story because he said that you split it up. There's a a complication and an unraveling. So there's like a rise and then there's an unraveling. There's a fall. Right, the rising action, the there's fall. There's a rising action and a fall, and it, this tr- it, it is absolutely true um, because. Um, that's what I, and, and what I say to everybody, if you really want to kind of look into the architecture of stories, one story everybody, everybody has to look at, and it's funny because I'm actually going to come out with a Substack um, in a couple of weeks uh, uh, talking about storytelling, kind of like a masterclass sort of thing. Um, and you can check it out uh, uh, on my website, uh, at, uh, com if you want to check it out. Um, I'm going to, uh, if you sign up for my newsletter, it, uh, I'm going to be sending it out in a couple of weeks. But, um, one movie you have to see if you love storytelling because it's, it's it's the most coolest thing in the world that really illuminates everything is uh, the famous movie. Um, it's a comedy, Groundhog Day. <laughs> Groundhog Day is will show you the basics of of storytelling because basically what happens is that in the beginning of the movie, um, Bill Murray's a jerk. He's a selfish jerk, right? So he, he that so that's his rise. To, to, to see how selfish he can get, see? And then in the midpoint of the movie, he gets sick of doing being so selfish because, you know, every day he can do whatever he wants, and then he decides he's, he's going to kill himself, right? Um, and then the second part of the movie is him deciding to be... So the fall of him is him deciding to be, instead of selfish, to be as, as selfless. To be kind, yeah. To be as kind as he can. And that's really kind of the the basics of every great film is this 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 the first half has this 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 rise of selfishness, and the second half has this selfless sort of justice angle to the whole thing. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you one more because it, it's very similar if you look at Goodfellas, in the movie Goodfellas, Henry Hill you know rises up into the middle of. Um, uh, in the mob, right, mm-hmm. and to where he's making money, he's making more money, and it's it's like so he goes up to the middle, and they, in the middle, Aristotle calls it the crisis, right? Right. So in this crisis is just this tipping point, to where, you know, um, so he's he's at, at the height of making all this money, he's got a girlfriend and everything else. So if you go to the middle of the movie Goodfellas, right in the middle, it's the scene where Karen takes a gun and puts it to his head. Yeah. Because basically, because this is the choice in the movie, is that he has to make the choice in his life. Am I going to stay in the mob, which is the gun, right? Either the gun, where you're going to die, because you can't just keep being selfish all the time, you're going to die. Or me. Right. Right? And then the second half is about her, because he goes with her, and then he eventually leaves the mob. Now, that's far out. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? You know, I, I think what we're talking about here, uh, to a degree, is how in the novel form, or in the movie, I guess the movie form, it's all about how the characters change. Right, you know, and they they evolve. Right, how how does that work for you when you write a series where you have the same character seven times? Yeah, you have to. Well, it, it's different because again, with a series character, you have you'll have a hero, 
and he'll constantly re-enter a situation in which these same things occur. You right. know, there's always kind of a pattern to the whole thing where he'll enter something where, again, if a classic detective story, um, basically... You'll Mysterious have, woman shows up at his office. Yeah, or, yeah. right, yeah. or whatever. Um, but like, let's say there's a dead body. So the person's job is to find out who did this, right? So th- they go about this um, task of finding out who, who the killer is, right? So they'll, they'll, they'll start to succeed. They'll be, again, like I said, like a rise. Then there'll be kind of a middle part where um, usually something will happen where the killer or whoever it is will punish the detective for trying to catch them. Right. So then there's a fall where they're getting chased or something like this where... Um, Detective's they're, they're fearing for, for himself, life. yeah. Right. So it's the same sort of thing. So it's a, so you can just keep doing it all the time because it's the same pattern. You've kind of moved on to this thing now where you're doing a lot more solo stuff. Is there, Would you do another thing with Patterson? or? Yeah, it, sure, definitely. Yeah. Does, yeah. It, does it work like that? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're still pals. We're really, really great. He gave me a great blurb for... Um, the girl in the vault. He said, uh, um, "If uh, if Reese Witherspoon or Jenna hasn't picked this book up for their club, they should." Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, that's a great. Like, so I, I, I agree with that. What about the? Um, what about from readers? Have Have you feel like the readers of those Patterson books have followed you? Yes. Yeah. One of the most awesome things uh, I, that I have found is uh, so many people have commented that they that they love the Michael Bennett stuff. And uh, and they and they they picked that's why they picked up one of these books, Stop at Nothing, or uh, and there's another standalone called Beach Wedding. Yes, yes, um, we get to that. Yeah, um, and uh, so they said, yeah. So they picked it up and they took a look at it. Oh, now oh, I'm gonna read Michael Gannon too. I love Michael Gannon. He reminds me of Michael Bennett, whatever. That's really awesome. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of people have hopped on board. Yeah, it's really cool. One thing that has stood out to me, um, I did get a chance to read a few chapters of the girl in the vault and if you're interested i'd love to have you just come back in november we could talk about this all day absolutely That'd but be great. but what i wanted to mention to you is um you know one thing that uh i notice about the the standalone work you're doing now with beach wedding with the girl in the vault uh, which is coming out in november those books are aimed at different audiences but it's not necessarily far from stuff you've done with patterson Right, like there's that familiarity of the Manhattan world, and and you know, kind of familiar in the quickie a little bit. Yes, you know, right. similar maybe tone. Um, is that you know, is that really intentional? Is that where the the publisher likes you to go? Yeah, I, that's intentional on, on my part. Because um, again, like I said, um, uh, all the James Patterson fan, fans who love Michael Bennett, I definitely want to appeal to them. I, I want to get them get them on board. Um, it's funny. I, I kind of look at my my career. Uh, if you ever, um, I read this thing about the the guy who the, the guy who did Taken, the movie yes. Taken, right? He was also originally he did a kind of hard boiled um, movie, um, Leon the uh, the Professional. Okay. They like a really yes. hard, kind of gritty, yes. violent, but really cool. The I action, remember this one. Action yeah. scenes are really cool. Blah blah. And what happened with him was he teamed up with. Uh, another screenwriter, um, the guy who did the Karate Kid. Wow! And he did some other kind of um, kind of feel good sort of movie. So and then you so you add this together. So he's a, kind of this violent action guy, and then he teams then he up with the, this, yeah, yeah this kind yeah, of happier yeah. guy, kind of more family, happens family friendly. Yeah. 
And then they come up with Taken, sort of a family-friendly, you know, arm-breaking, you know, thriller that, that was really appealing to everybody. You know what I'm saying? Beach so, Wedding is a good one to talk about on the show because I feel like that's a, I, I, I think that was last summer I went through that one. That had to have been last summer, right? Okay. Right? So yeah. it was like, that's a <clears throat> set at a wedding in the Hamptons. What was the inspiration for that one? Uh, uh, yeah, that, that's funny. Um. Basically, uh, the, how that came about, my, my, my poor wife, we were out shopping and uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, and she was coming out, and uh, she slipped on the ice, and she broke her, she broke her, uh, her ankle. Wow. And so we were laid up, because uh, again, her, her knee, like, we basically had, had to sleep, on, she had to sleep on the couch, so we were kind of chilling out on the couch. Wow. Because she couldn't go up the stairs, because her knee was, was uh, they had to put a pin in her knee and wow. everything. Um, so... So we had all we had to do was watch TV. <sighs> so we went through like literally every single um, true crime wow. show and all the different series. And you must have been in heaven. <laughs> yeah, we went through the whole thing. And even like uh, on YouTube, there's like the old ones. Like uh, the one of our favorites was an old show. It was used to be on Court TV. Uh, Pride, Privilege, and Justice. Ooh, that was a good one. Remember yes, this? absolutely. Yeah, with Dominic yeah. Dunn. Yeah, I uh, think we have the same TiVo or whatever you call <laughs> it. Same recorded shows. Uh, Dominic Dunn, who's actually, he's actually from West Hartford. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he grew up in West Hartford. Um, but, uh, he's passed away now, isn't he? Yeah, he recently, recently yeah, passed. Yeah, yeah he, he was great. Um, uh, so, and all of these things about, you know, rich people and, and murders and half of them all they always happen on Long Island yeah yeah oh yeah <laughs> um, so I basically took like 30 of these things you know and just it took all these notes while I was watching ripped it and together and I said let's let, let's have the uh, the greatest Long Island like rich people murder mystery thing of all time so it's a good idea yeah. I think it's called um Beach murder in Europe. I think beach murder would have been a better name for it. You though. like that better? I okay. Think I yeah, because you're a crime. You love the crime you, stuff. You right? thought beach wedding was better. Maybe it's more marketable. Yeah, I thought beach wedding would be kind of. You know, it was funny because I worked with, with Jim because he has books called Beach. His one's called Beach Road. One's called Beach um, Beach House. Yes. And he has one called Lake House. So I was like, oh, and he. It's funny. He has another book called Christmas, the Christmas Wedding. Wow. So it's kind of really, I was trying to get the, the Patterson people on board yeah, with yeah, the yeah. beach wedding. So. Um, but I heard that before because some, some women said that the, there wasn't enough wedding. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of thought it was like kind of more yeah, of a romance. Yeah, it was going to be a little rom-com. Yeah. But I said, come on, there was a wedding in there. Give me a break. So, so um, you just touched on something that I think I wanted to ask you before. Are you a note guy? Are you a notebook guy? Keep a notebook? Or are you more just kind of record it in your head and use it later? Uh, I I'll I'll take notes. Yeah, you know what I, I like. Um, sometimes I write it on my phone. Me but, too. Uh, uh, my kids got me the um, what's what are those cool little notebooks? Uh, moleskin. Moleskins. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I got I have a green moleskin thing that I, I write notes in. Yeah. Um. um so b before we let you go, let's let's talk about we're, we're gonna probably spend the whole episode talking about the the new book that comes out in November and maybe whatever's happening in the Michael Gannon world, but. Let's talk about the girl in the vault a little bit. Why don't you give us a little bit of synopsis and how how it came from uh, thought to page? Yeah. Okay. The, uh, the girl in the vault is basically, um, if it was a movie, you'd say it's working girl meets the firm. Um, it's about a young um, Wall Street intern at a small, very uh, 
uh, boutique, uh, high-end, uh, high-finance, um, private investment bank. And um, uh, if you you know if you're not aware, the, these these internships at these Wall Street banks are brutal. Uh, a lot of the time, these guys don't even get paid. And uh, so it's basically it's, it's about this this young young lady. She's really really smart, and uh, she's kind of banking on this. And uh, she comes to New York from from down south, and uh, and she falls in love with this guy, and she's got this big plan, and they're all gonna have this. They're gonna get start their life together, blah blah. And basically, um, she gets betrayed at work, and uh, and she's the smartest one there, and she definitely should get this job, and she's banking on it, and she needs it, and uh, and there's, there's 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 no way she can't go home, you know. This is like she's burnt her bridges behind her, so um, they basically, you know, she she knows she's not going to get the job, and so, but in the back of her mind, she comes up with a plan to. Um, uh, kind of the perfect crime to to walk away with the severance package, and uh, and I'll kind of leave it at that because it's really cool. Like if you love uh, if you love the movie Double Indemnity, mm-hmm. where the crime is really clever, it has a really clever crime in the center of this one, and uh, it's never been done before. So I'm really proud of it. So. I, that's, that's exciting in yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, well. What else fills your life? You know, the only other thing I wanted to ask you that I, I kind of forgot to was that, you know, in the Gaining books, are you a baseball fan? Because there's a little bit of baseball in the <laughs> books and stuff. Are you, are you not really a fan? <laughs> it's funny. Um, uh, my wife is the big baseball fan. She loves the Yankees. Um, it's so funny. I'm kind of like, I've been around big fans um, my whole life, whatever. Uh, it's so funny. I always say that, um, uh, and my son's a huge Yankee fan, um, and, uh, and my wife. But it's funny because uh, I, I had an older brother who was three years older, and he was a huge sports fan. And uh, I don't know if you've had – do you have any, any older – Yeah, bro- I do. Do you have an older yeah. brother? <laughs> so you kind of understand a lot of fighting and, yeah, yeah. and uh, back and forth. So I remember he he always knew everything. You know, I, I never knew anything. He always knew everything about everything. So I was like, as soon as I could kind of start reading, because mm-hmm. I knew that he would read the, the sports pages. Okay. So I would read them too, so I would know what he was talking about. And then I, if I could find out some fact that he didn't know, just to say, like, I know something you don't know um, for whatever it is with the Yankees, whatever, because just because it was just kind of a way to another way to wrestle was the, the was sports knowledge. So it's so funny because because uh, I don't really it's, it wasn't even something I was kind of interested in. It was basically to get back at my brother. <laughs> and so but it's so funny because with my son, who's into all the stats and he's really into the whole thing. So every once in a while, like on uh, when we're watching the Yes Network, and there'll be a trivia question. So if it's around, if it's about the '70s or the early '80s sport like baseball, I'll be I'll be able to answer some of these questions yeah. only solely because of whatever. Because yeah, yeah. usually I'm not paying attention, but they'll just come in with something. I think this, this, and this. <laughs> Jim Rice or whatever, the Red Sox or something like that. And my son just laughs and laughs. He said that's so funny because how do you know that? You know, right. it was solely to get back at my brother. <laughs> <laughs> how many kids do you have? Uh, three. Wow. Yeah. And you said one of them is married already, huh? Yes, two of them. Two wow. Of them yeah, I actually have four grandkids. No way. Yeah, the oldest one is three. Are you what, 50? 50, going to be 53. Wow. Yeah. God bless, yeah. bro. You got it all done young, you Irish. You know, <laughs> they get it all, everything out of the way, they get done old school, kind of New York. Like, there you like, go. Uh, um, <laughs> That's funny. Do you write every day? No. No, huh? No, no. Um, I used to, you know, when I worked with Patterson, I did, because I, I wanted to keep that job. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, um, no, I don't write every day. How do you work now? 
I'll usually I, I wake up early. Like, like I said, it's funny um, with the whole outlining thing. If I told you how I did it, you'd be like, no, nah, you can't do it that way. But I, I, I use like uh, I, I have my outline. I, I put things in folders and I have my little little chapters that I work on. So I'll work on this chapter. Uh, I, I'll, I'll almost like making a movie how they do it backwards sometimes. Yeah. I'll, I'll skip around and I'll, I'll do different things and oh I want to work on this part of it now or like an action scene that or, might help you yeah. that might be helpful it's I, just like anything else like you, you've done it different ways so you just try something else it's yeah. ironic that you said that Mike because this week I was thinking to myself how in my younger career and again I'm a magazine writer non nonfiction writer you know um, sometimes I would just start in the middle because it was like the easiest to just like, all right, I'm just going to go through the easy parts right, right now. You know what I mean? And that's in the middle of the story. And I was like, I'm going to go build the beginning now. You know what I there mean? There you go. So, you got to start somewhere. You got to yeah, start. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's a wrong way. That might not be the best habit to get into, but I'm not sure there's really a wrong way all the time. Yeah. You know, like it's not, it's not always the wrong way. It's just kind of something you can try once in a while if you have to. Right. That's, that's, that's writing, writing can really be like that sometimes. It's, it's whatever you need to get it done, huh? Yeah, exactly. I, I, some guy said, um, How long did it take you to write this? Uh, I, I wrote the Girl that, in the Vault. You know, it's so funny. I wrote this, I wrote the second half of this in, t in like three weeks. Wow. Yeah. Because um, I can crank it out. Because, I, I, like I said, I, it's an outlining. Um, but, the there's a guy I think it was James I forget his name he's a, he did like uh, stuff for the New Yorker the geology and stuff McAfee or something like whatever he, he wrote a book about writing and he said what he called it uh, what you do is like uh, he do all his research he called it like uh, going to get the groceries and you bring the groceries home and you pile them into different kind of piles and then you then you cook the meal right you know, you know what i'm saying so yes there's all these different methods of doing it whatever but you know. you know and and those what you said about those folders that uh, just from the videos i've seen on youtube that's very much how patterson works those right. compartmentalized folders right. how much even like when you worked with him and then now that you're working on your own how much do those outlines change in the middle of the game in the middle of the process um I, I I would add changes to it um, if I thought it was uh, this might work that might work um, for your own stuff. Yeah, I I would, but even with, with Patterson, I would change it. Uh -huh. um, and uh, and he'd say, yeah, okay, I like that better. Whatever, That's I like cool. where you went there. Sometimes he'd go, what the hell is that? Where are you going with this? You know, like do it the way I told you. So uh, he'd tell me to go back. But um, uh, yeah, so it was again, it was um, it was really fun working with with, with Patterson. I'll tell you, uh, just. Uh, because he's like a celebrity. Yeah, you know, he he knows a lot of people, and he goes out to Hollywood and everything. And uh, so he tell me all these all these cool stories and stuff. So it was just fun when the phone rang and it was him. It was like, okay, you know, he's gonna tell me some cool story. Blah blah. blah. He'd go to the Super Bowl. He'd, he'd go to he'd eat dinner at Tom Cruise's house and all sorts of fun stuff. So it was really fun working with him. He was a nice guy. I actually miss kind of bantering back and forth with him. But you know, you kind of got used to it after a while. You no, know? I'm sure he's great. It's kind of a lonely thing writing writing books. But Yeah, very yeah. solitary hobby. Yeah. It was a very solitary task you have yeah. to do was to write a book. So, um, but before I, let, before I let you go, I got to be honest. I, I, You know, sometimes you don't know if, if writers like being interviewed, but I think because I know so much of your material, we had a great talk today. Yeah, thank uh, you. But I want to ask you something. We, we've asked a few other writers um, this before, and some of them are stumped and 
some of them like they'll they'll name some like prehistoric text that they want to do. But the question I ask sometimes is, you having been such a successful series writer, okay, if you could if you could take um, you know what's been done with the Robert B. Parker books and revive a character that's been long gone, somebody that's near and dear to you as a reader, and you say, hey, you know. Um, I would love to put that character in this situation X, Y, Z. Is there anybody that a previous writer wrote, you know? Um, who who I, I would want to... Yeah, like an Ed McMahon character, anybody like that. You'd love to You'd love to take that character and write your own adventure. Right. Uh, Again... I, you, I, I, yeah, I don't know if, I, if I'd want to put him in an adventure, but uh, there's certain characters that are really... Like, the, I don't know if you you got to read Charles Williford, uh, this guy, Hulk Mosley. Okay. Because, um, again, very much a Quentin Tarantino thing where... He'd, he'd, he'd be doing something, you know, uh, real quick. In one of them, he goes, he's supposed to go undercover and uh, in Florida because some farmer, they think he's enslaving people at the farm. So he has to pretend to be a, um, uh, like a farm worker, like a farm foreman. Like, go apply for a foreman job and see what's going on at the farm. So, uh, so the farmer says, oh, yeah, you know, he goes to this... Uh, place where they're selling food and uh the farmer shows up and the farmer says yeah oh you want to work for me okay yeah come here i want to shake your hand so he shakes his hand okay get in the back of the truck so they drive to, out to this farm in the middle of nowhere and um and the farmer has this this crazy uh uh indian guy with them uh, an american indian guy and uh and when they stop the truck he s- says to the american indian guy go take him in the barn and kill him <laughs> Because he's uh, he ain't who he says he is. Because right, right. I just shook his hand. His hands are soft. <laughs> he, he ain't no farmer. <laughs> so and just all of a sudden, yeah, this guy's yeah, beating yeah. the living hell out of Mosley <laughs> and trying to kill him. Right, right. So Guess the result. Out of nowhere. Right. You know. Uh, so I love. I, I thought that was so amazing because, like I told you, like because I had read through all of the like every single mystery guy, mm-hmm. and when I got to the Hulk Mosley, I said, "This is different." <laughs> Hulk Mosley. Hulk Mosley. Gotta yeah. love it, man. You gotta check it out. Yeah. Um, so maybe something with him, I'd write. Yeah. Um, uh, Mike, I, I really want to thank you for coming in today. I know it was an hour ride from your home, but it was. This was one of the best episodes we ever had of the show, <laughs> R- really for sure. You got it. Um, no, no, I, I think it's awesome that you know you're such a huge fan and everything. Because when when you asked me to come on and I saw the lineup of the people that that you had on, especially Lawrence Block, but even like Peter Blanner. Peter Blanner was actually he was. Uh, uh, I, I I know Peter. I was on a, a panel with him one time because he he actually was um, my agent was his agent wow yeah so i remember peter his uh oh you've been with the same agent for a long time no i have another agent now wow. yeah um because and when i was with patterson I, I didn't have an agent wow at, at all, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah so i i went and got a, a, another one but um but yeah peter was uh because like you were talking about movies and stuff like that because he had a big book in in the 90s called the um, slow motion riot slow motion Riot. but there's another one uh the intruder yes that was going to be this gigantic movie yeah, and again, like you said about developmental hell and yeah, blah, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think he had a few situations like that yeah, for Peter. Yeah, great yeah, writer, yeah. fantastic, nice guy. Um, thanks so much for joining us on WXCI ninety one point seven and streaming on WXCI.org from here at Western Connecticut State University. Our guest has been Michael Ledwidge, prolific author of over twenty novels. His latest book, The Girl in the Vault, comes out in November from Hanover Square Press. Thanks so much. I'll be back in a minute. So there you have it. It was great having Michael Ledwidge with us on Public Reading Club. He's, you know, 
just one of my favorite writers. He's uh, someone that's prolific, and uh, he always has different ideas. And I, I kind of like the movies that he writes in these books. He's got that really cinematic style, um, action kind of crime genre, and it really works for him. And I'm looking forward to uh, whatever he has coming next, especially uh, The Girl in the Vault, which will be out in the fall. Um, we've reached the point of the show where we're going to quickly go through some recommendations sent in by you, the listeners, and some things that I've come across in the last uh, few weeks because uh, we have been on hiatus for a bit and some stuff has accumulated. So we spoke to Michael Ledwidge who mentioned uh, the Hoke Mosley novels by Charles Williford. I could not recommend these books any more uh, than Mike did. It was really fantastic. Um, it's, a, it's a book where the main character is just so rugged and kind of real, and it's, it's, it's what you hope for in a detective novel, I think. And uh, I did enjoy Miami Blues, which was um, much later uh, made into a movie, but... I must say that the of the two that I read, I really preferred the, the second one, which is A New Hope for the Dead. And uh, Miami homicide detective Hoke Mosley is called to a posh Miami neighborhood to investigate a lethal overdose. Uh, there he meets the alluring stepmother of the descendant and begins to wonder about dating a witness. Meanwhile, he's been threatened with suspension by his ambitious new chief unless he leaves his beloved if squalid suite at the El Dorado Hotel and moves downtown. With free housing hard to come by, Hoke is desperate to find a new place to live. His difficulties are amplified by an assignment to reinvestigate 50 unsolved cases, the unexpected arrival of two teenage daughters, and a partner struggling with an unwanted pregnancy. With few options and even fewer dollars, he decides that the suspicious and beautiful stepmother of the dead junkie might be the solution to all of his problems. Packed with atmosphere and humor, New Hope for the Dead is a classic murder mystery by one of the true masters of the genre. So this is now back in print for a while now from Vintage. It's Charles Williford, uh, a great, fantastic writer. Um, the it's it's a really moving story and uh, I think you might want to start you know just if I had to say um, a few words I think you might have to start with the second book I really do think it's a better um, kind of introduction to Hoke Mosley as a character it's it might be a little more accessible than the Miami Blues which is a, it's a bit of a weird read but I I did enjoy it and I would recommend it to anyone but uh, yeah that's New Hope for the Dead by Charles Williford. Um, the next book I just want to quickly mention uh, is a book that I discovered uh, a few years ago at a bookshop in Portland, Maine. I couldn't tell you the uh, name of that shop, but I could tell you that Ultimate Glory, Frisbee, Obsession, and My Wild Youth by David Gessner is just a fantastic book. If you're interested in Ultimate Frisbee, uh, these days they call it Ultimate Disc. Um, this might be a great read for you. It's a different kind of uh, read. It's more of a memoir. 
and uh, a book that uh, kind of uses the history of Ultimate Disc, Ultimate Frisbee, uh, kind of in the backdrop and not necessarily uh, the full story. It's kind of a memoir. Uh, and David Gessner, uh, you know, he devoted his 20s to a cultish sport called Ultimate Frisbee, is what it says on the back. Like his teammates and rivals, he trained for countless hours, sacrificing the body and potential career for a chance at fleeting glory without fortune or fame. His only goal, to win nationals and go down in ultimate history as, the, as one of the greatest athletes no one had ever heard of. Uh, that's compelling to me. Um, ultimate Disc is really a fantastic game, and I don't know where else I would say this, but I think if the, you know, unfortunately situations are that sometimes kids drop off the soccer team, kids drop off the basketball team, I think that the, the ultimate team is a great option for those kids. I think it's similar skills, similar mindset out on the field, possibly even an alternative to football for some people who, you know, would rather do that. So, uh, I've just been having a lot of fun throwing the Frisbee with friends and family recently. So Ultimate Glory, Frisbee, Obsession, and My Wild Youth by David Gessner is another book that I would recommend. The third book uh, I'd like to recommend is actually from uh, a friend of the show, um, Justin Schmidt, who's a professional hockey player. Uh, last season, he played both in Columbus, Georgia, and uh, finished the season in Elmira, New York. And uh, he's a you know a prolific athlete who uh, also competes in combat sports, rodeo, and uh, he plays professional hockey. Um, he was kind enough to send me a book via, via Amazon um, that was written by his mother. Uh, it's called Chasing My Son Across Heaven A Story of Life, Loss and the Strength of Enduring Love by V. Joy Pavlich um, In the early morning hours of August 4th, 2013 Joy Pavlich's world was shattered when she found out that her 20-year-old son Eric had taken his own life at the family farm in Saskatchewan. Struggling to make sense of Eric's sudden and unexpected suicide, Joy takes a deeply personal and difficult journey through his past, from his happy childhood to his mental health struggles in his early teens, to his death and the resulting aftermath of his passing. Chasing My Son Across Heaven demonstrates how to rebuild a life fractured by extreme trauma using storytelling as a powerful healing tool. The author tackles some of the most pressing issues facing society today. Youth mental health, suicide, post-traumatic stress. Throughout, through her explorations, Joy reveals how we can all find the courage to rebuild our lives while continuing to honor the deep love for those we've lost. So I got a chance to uh, quickly read this book. And I can tell you that... Um, I'm sure she goes by V or Joy, uh, put a lot of uh, emotion and uh, well-thought-out uh, attention to her writing in this book. Um, she talks about how the kids are a hockey family, and there's stories of um, generational 
uh, relationships um, story of her own father's relationship with her sons. And I think that um, when you read something like this, it's a diary of uh, a parent's grief. And what the result is, is a powerful and moving um, account of um, endless love, really. And it's, it, it's a powerful book, and it kind of speaks to the human condition today. Many people um, deal with issues related to suicide and, and mental health, and when we take a look at those elements in our lives, the impact usually falls upon the loved ones. And this book really kind of beautifully illustrates some of the stages of grief. One point in the book, she mentions that time kind of marched on after her son Eric's death. And ultimately, you know, weeks turn into months. And you start marking the time. And then later into years. So there's all types of reflections on the process of grief and loss. So I, I can't say enough about it. Uh, Chasing My Son Across Heaven, uh, a, a story of life loss and the strength of enduring love by V. Joy Pavlich. Uh, it's available on uh, Amazon. And it, it's an important read uh, for anyone dealing with uh, trauma and um, the sudden and unexpected loss of a loved one. Just want to conclude the show now by thanking Michael Ledwidge for coming on, and we're going to read two more uh, little updates from some of our some of our dedicated readers to uh, the, from Patricia Hutchison. She'd like to recommend The Whisper Man by Alex North. Patricia says it's the best thriller I've ever read, only book that actually terrified me. It's been a few years since I read it, but it always sticks with me. As a true crime enthusiast, it has a Paul Flores vibe to it. He was recently convicted of the murder of Kristen Smart. Patricia reads tremendously, and we actually gave her Mike Ledwidge's new book, and we're hoping she gets a chance to read Mike's new book so that she can share her thoughts with us on the next installment of Public Reading Club. So there you have it right now for this installment of Public Reading Club. We uh, really want to thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you again soon. Although we've never seen you, we know what you look like in our hearts. <laughs> so uh, thanks for joining us. Um, please stay stay tuned to the show and the Instagram account. We are going to be up on Apple Podcasts soon. Uh, we are running mostly on Spotify right now. But uh, thanks for your time. And stay tuned to WXCI 91.7 from Western Connecticut State University uh, as we continue to broadcast Public Reading Club. Public Reading Club is a production of WXCI 91.7 Danbury Radio, hosted by Matt Caputo and produced by Pat Frenette and Matt Caputo.